Welcome to week one of Renewed. This is a brand new series where we're talking about what does it mean for us to be kind of made new, to have a do-over, a clean start, a new beginning. It's an interesting series, and the very first thing we're going to talk about is what does it mean to be renewed in our spirit, in our spirit? You know, I want you to ponder something this morning. I think we would all agree that we are more than just physical beings, that we're also spiritual beings, that we were created with a spirit that God uh, pours that into us. And if you believe that's true, and I think most of you probably do, then you, you, you need to think about something else. And here's the question. It's, it's can, can our actions alter our spirit in some way? Can the things that we do and say alter who we are as a spiritual being? Can it be altered based on how we live our lives? And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. So in order to make that more concrete, let me take it back to a character in the Bible that, that you probably know well, King David. Now, King David, as you know, he, he well, he, he did some really cruddy things, right? Um, he sees a lady taking a bath on a roof, and instead of turning away as he should have, he decides to keep watching her. And that causes lust to come into his heart, and so he has her brought to the palace, whether by her will or against her will, and the story plays out that she ends up having a child by King David. But before that child is born, trying to cover up the scandal, since she's a married woman, you know what happens. He has her husband, Uriah, who is a, a soldier. He has him killed in battle. And uh, David is responsible for all of that mess. Now, there's a time where he thinks he's gotten away with it, but God sends the prophet to him, confronts him and convicts him of his sin. That's when David writes the 51st Psalm. And I want you to hear the words of David, how that his sinful actions with Bathsheba have affected him. And I do want you to gather something. Sin does have an effect on us, on our spirit, and on others. Listen to how David speaks of this situation. Psalm 51, a psalm written for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David's words are these. Have mercy on me, God. Oh, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, God, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. <laughs> Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, God, and I've done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop, the equivalent of bleach in David's day. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
Oh God, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Oh, then I will teach the transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God, you who are my God and my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You who, delight, you who do not delight in sacrifice, for if you did, I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise this. So may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Maybe you can relate to what David pens here. It's a desperate cry asking for forgiveness. It is deep, heartfelt repentance. David acknowledges that the state of his spirit has an effect and a connection on his relationship with his creator and others. And David is heartbroken over his actions. And here he is, exposed in his sin, and he longs for something different. He longs for something better. David longs for renewal. You know, this psalm and others are the reason the Bible frequently said that David was a man after God's own heart. <laughs> David, more than anything else, he really did want to be right with God. And when you realize that he had done some things that had separated from God, and, and again, don't miss this, sin does separate us from God. It crushed him. <laughs> it crushed him. He had so many accomplishments. He had done so many great things, but he recognized that his sins mattered. They hurt people, and they hurt God. So David, David seeks to get right with God. <laughs> we say David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was flawless or he was perfect. He certainly was not. We say it because David was willing to confront his sin and to ask God for forgiveness and restoration. You see, a person who has a renewed spirit is a person who longs to be right with God and a person who is willing to repent of sin in order to be fresh and clean of spirit and mind and body. David was heartbroken over his sin. I wonder today, when we think about sins in our life, if they break our hearts, if they grieve us. It's an important reality. If they don't bother us, that's a problem all its own. Perhaps you're here today. Perhaps there's something that grieves you. Perhaps there's something 
that causes you to long to be right with God again. Like David, maybe you feel your spirit needs some renewing. I don't want you to miss this. David's choices, his decisions, his actions all had a transformational effect on his spirit. But once David confronted his sin, he knew where he needed to go to make things right. He went to God. And it was only with God's help that David's spirit was ultimately renewed. And the good news for us today is that like David, God wants to help renew your spirit and mine. So as we repent of our sins, as we lean into God, as we allow God to do his good work, it is possible for our spirits to be renewed. God goes on, of course, to forgive King David, to renew David's spirit, to restore him to a place of leadership in his country. God does all of those things for David. And during this series, these next four weeks, I hope that like David, you will experience a growing, a growing appreciation and a growing sense of renewal in your own life. Understand this about our Creator. God created us first and foremost as complex beings. There's a lot to you. There's a lot to me. For example, Jesus described our nature in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It was a way of saying we are comprised of a lot of different things. We're comprised of heart or emotion. We're emotional beings. We have a soul. We are spiritual beings. We have a mind that can reason and think, and we are intellectual beings. And we have strength. We are physical beings. Now, I understand something. It's not just our own actions that affect our spiritual being. Sometimes... It's the actions of others. Sometimes it's someone else who has left us wounded in body and mind and in spirit. There's no getting around this. Life is hard. And the trials of life, the things that we face, can cause every single one of us to have wounded and broken spirits. It's not difficult for us to become weary. Broken relationships can cause profound sorrow. Financial woes can stress our minds to the breaking point. Disappointment can leave us deeply discouraged. Loss can leave us reeling emotionally and physically. All of these and more have a way of affecting our spiritual state. The writer of Proverbs wrote these words, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And friends, there's one thing above everything else, that causes us to need renewal in our spirits. David knew it, and we know it, as sin. Sin is a problem. And the Bible tells us that each and every one of us were born with a sinful nature that was handed down to us by those that came before us. Read the first fall in chapter 3 of Genesis, 
And since Adam and Eve disregarded God and decided to live for themselves in the moment, well, every generation since has followed suit. And when sin is in our lives, our spirits become dark and disconnected from God. You see, sin in its purest form is simply this. Sin is a rejection of what God wants and an acceptance of what we long for and want. This is sin. And all of us have sinned. All of us have a spirit that's been in need of, desperate need of renewal. But when we invite Jesus into our lives, not only does he forgive us, not only does he give us the strength to live differently, but he has the ability to renew our spirit and our soul. You know, there are stories all over the Bible that demonstrate this, but the one I'd like to focus on for the remainder of our time this morning comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. You know the story well. It's the story of someone named Zacchaeus. Remember him? We read the story, and, and the first verse, it simply says this, that Jesus was traveling along. He entered Jericho, and he was passing through. Now, there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. This man, Zacchaeus, is described in some pretty significant ways. First, he's called a chief tax collector. He's also referred to as a Jewish man. This more than likely means that he was at least viewed by his neighbors in his community as a sympathizer to Rome, because he was working for Rome as a tax collector. To his neighbors and to those that he collected taxes from, he more than likely was considered to be a thief. For the tax collectors would overcharge individuals and take a little off the top for themselves to become rich. And the text told us Zacchaeus, <laughs> he was rich. He had made a lot of money. He was considered a thief, a sellout, a traitor to his country. I suspect that Zacchaeus was fully aware of his bad reputation. And worse yet, in those moments, right, those moments we don't like very much where it's just us and our conscience, in those moments, I suspect Zacchaeus, if he was brave enough to admit it, he knew there was a darkness in his heart. He knew there was a corruption there. Sometimes we can be fully aware of our broken spirit. At other times, we try to ignore it. Maybe for Zacchaeus, that broken spirit is in big, a big part of the reason that he wants to see Jesus so badly. I think he understands that in his life, he needs something to be different. It can't stay the same. It's not fulfilling. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring peace. Something's missing. He tried to fill it with money. He tried to buy it with power but there was still an emptiness inside of Zacchaeus. 
So he wants to see Jesus so badly that he'll climb a tree to see him. I wonder how badly do you desire to see Jesus? <laughs> Climbed any trees lately? Made any efforts? In the first four verses of this passage, we see a key component of experiencing a renewed spirit. That simply is Zacchaeus has a heart that wants to be right with God. He wants to see Jesus. It seems simple, but there are many of us who never get to that point. Far too many of us never develop a desire to see Jesus in our lives, Jesus in our homes, Jesus in our business. I wonder, would we be willing to do anything in order to have Jesus renew our spirits? Are we willing not to climb a tree, but to draw near to God through prayer, through good counsel, through honesty with God? In Luke chapter 19, we continue in verse 5, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, that is the spot where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, Jesus looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down, and at once he welcomed Jesus gladly. Now all the people saw this. They began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner because Zacchaeus is well known as a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. And in that moment he said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, here and now, I give one half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, and this is an interesting translation because it implies that he knows he has. <laughs> I know I have, and so all you people who I've taken advantage of, I'm going to pay you back four times the amount that I took from you. Now when all this happens, I suspect there were lots of skeptics Lots of people who thought, well, that's nice talk. But we can be certain that it was more than that. Because Jesus doesn't just look at outward appearances. He doesn't just care about the words that we say, right? He, he looks into our hearts. And it's Jesus who confirms for us that these weren't just mere words. But they were a renewed and transformed heart and spirit. Zacchaeus because Jesus is the one who says today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost it's a surprising twist in our story Jesus saying, hey, you up in the tree, get down here. We, we've got to have lunch together right now. I'm going to your house. That's pretty forceful. But it's in line with what Jesus' mission was. Jesus saw up in the tree someone who was lost. And the heart of Jesus is not to leave people lost, but to bring them home. And so Jesus said, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house. But what's really happening is Jesus was inviting him back into Jesus' eternal home, right? Amen. Jesus had to have blown Zacchaeus' mind. 
I don't know how, how, how Zacchaeus would have responded at first. You know, maybe there was a mix of emotion at the thought of Jesus coming. Maybe fear, maybe excitement. What I do know is this. That because of Jesus, a man who was too short, a man who was too deceitful, a man who robbed people, a man who was hated by many, became the perfect host for Jesus. The audience didn't understand what they were seeing. (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. Jesus is holy. Jesus is good. Jesus is righteous. Jesus knows that bad company can corrupt character. So why in the world would he go to the worst company? Why would he be with this person? This guy's horrible. The audience missed the point. They completely missed it. (laughs) But Jesus didn't. He understood what his mission was. Making all things new. It was his desire to make Zacchaeus new. He saw a weary spirit. But when he left, I think we would all agree Zacchaeus was fully and completely made new. You know, Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, wanting to come, Jesus to come to him, was marked by an important transformational moment. It's the same moment that happened to David. It's the same moment that Peter asked the people on the day of Pentecost when he said to them, and they said, the people said, Peter, what are we supposed to, be do, what are we supposed to do to be right with God? And what David did, and what Zacchaeus did, and what Peter asked them to do is what we must do if we want to have a right spirit. We must repent. You see, repentance means to turn in a new direction. I don't know if you're familiar with the the story of a little town up in in Canada or not. There's a town up there by the name of Wabash, and it's a, a town that was only accessible by snowmobiles, hiking, Uh, To get there, there were no roads. It's the remote part of the wilderness, this little outpost. But finally, the Canadian government cut a road to that isolated village. Now, here's the thing about that road. Even though that unpaved road may take you six hours to reach Wabash, if you took that road and you went there, there's only one way to get back out again. You have to turn around and come right back out of there. You have to make a complete 180 to get out of Wabash should you ever get there. And I want you to understand that this is what repentance is. It's a complete 180-degree turn. 180-degree turn, turning completely away from a path that says, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go in my own direction and turning 180 degrees and saying, you know what, I'm going to go... God's direction. I'm going to follow God's path. Renewal does require repentance. And like the town of Wabash, each of us by birth arrives in a town called Sin. And there's only one way out. And that way is through Jesus. It involves a complete about face. It involves repentance. And don't miss this. Without repentance, there is no way out of the town of Sin. 
So Zacchaeus promises to give half his possessions to the poor. He promises to pay back four times as much as he stole. That's what repentance looked like for Zacchaeus. For you and me, repentance might look different. When we encounter Jesus, a life-changing event takes place. And when we ask God to forgive us, well, it often means our lives will never be the same. But repentance is always followed by actions. You see, Zacchaeus experienced salvation based on his response to Jesus, based on his invitation to come and to spend time with Jesus. Jesus initiated it, but Zacchaeus' renewal took place because he was obedient and humble to respond to Jesus. At the very end of the passage, Jesus gave us that glimpse into his glorious mission. I've come to seek and to save the lost, lost tax collectors, lost kings, lost people. It reminds me of that great song we sing. We love that song, Amazing Grace. Remember the words? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know, that beloved hymn was written by John Newton. But I don't think you would have liked John Newton had you known him prior to the writing of that song. You see, John Newton was a slaver. He went to foreign lands and kidnapped men, women, and children for the purpose of enslaving them, put them onto ships and chains and drove them, or took them to other countries where he then sold them for money. He was a human trafficker. It was in 1748 that John Newton was on board of the slaving ship called Greyhound. The ship was not in the best of shape, and during a violent storm, the ship began to fall apart and to take on water. The storm was so violent that one of the crew members was swept overboard and lost in the sea. That night, as the storm railed against the ship, John Newton tried to keep the ship from going under. As he did, fighting the waves, recognizing that this could be the end of his life, he couldn't help but thinking about the choices and decisions that he had made that had brought him to that moment. Like Jonah, John Newton knew that he had run from God. He knew that he had hurt many people. And John Newton, as he evaluated his life, recognized that he had made a wreck out of himself. And he knew and he believed he would probably die in the midst of that storm. And as he pondered all these things, he began to wonder, could God forgive me? Why would he, Newton thought. 
I have spent all of my years rejecting everything about God. He couldn't bring himself to imagine that God could forgive someone like him. As he was despairing, literally holding on to the rail of the ship for life as the waves crashed over the man, a memory slipped into his mind of his mother. When Newton was a small boy, his mother used to read him the Bible at night before he would go to sleep. His mother had a saying that she would say to John. She would say, John, God loves to show people mercy. He even shows mercy to people who think they don't deserve it. As John thought about his mother's words, on his knees, holding on for dear life, he began to pray. Newton's prayer was, O oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. John Newton was fully aware of the wretch that he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew what had been lost. He knew that his spirit needed renewing. He found the grace of God. And that grace in that moment brought renewal to his spirit. And when that storm subsided, he wrote these words that we sing and have sung for now hundreds of years. And they are the words of a renewed and contrite heart. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He was transformed by grace. He was renewed by grace. I wonder what keeps us from responding to the invitation of Jesus. What keeps us from responding from his invitation to meet with him? What might keep us from being willing to repent? Is it possible that like John Newton, we might feel we don't deserve grace? We know God's grace can't be earned, that it's a free gift. Sometimes it's hard for us to accept that that gift is meant for us. And it seems too good to be true that all I have to do is receive it, embrace it, and be transformed by it. So the question is, how will I respond to God's race, grace? If you're struggling with that, let me ask you to do a few things today. David, Zacchaeus, the crowd on Pentecost, and we today have to acknowledge that there's sin in our life. There is. The right response to sin is repentance. Once we've confessed our sins, the Bible tells us God is faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness. The hardest word is that three-letter one, 
all. But remember the other three-letter word in that sentence, God. Because with God, all things are possible. So we have to trust God's grace for us, to embrace God's grace for us, and we have to extend that same grace, and this is the hard part. If God can forgive me for what I've done, and he can forgive you for what you've done, we have to be willing to also forgive people for what they have done to us. So how will you respond today? Well, whether you're a Christian or not, let me encourage you to use this time to speak to God about any sin that's in your life. It's always a good thing to ask God to forgive your sins. Now, if you're a Christian, ask God to renew a right spirit within you and to empower you to live a life that's in line with God's will. And if you're not a Christian today, if you've not yet been baptized, then know this. Renewal is waiting for you in Jesus. A new life is available in Christ. If you will do what those others have done before you, like David, Zacchaeus, and those on Pentecost who repented of their sins, and then they were faithful in Christian baptism to begin anew their relationship with God, forgiven and made clean. If you have a decision to make, would you make it right now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?